This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Temperance Home and Bar Botanica. Temperance Home and Bar Botanica offers self-care with a little sanse in it. Melissa Suze is a sanse espiritista, offering readings, spiritual guidance, and handcrafted magical products that offer opportunities for self-care and reflection designed for your home, bath, and bar. So go ahead and check out Temperance Home and Bar on Etsy or at Temperance Home Bar on Instagram and Facebook for magical, radical self-care for your home and bar. And best of all, you can get 10% off with promo code WITCHWAVE. That's Temperance Home and Bar on Etsy and use promo code WITCHWAVE for 10% off. Ugh, it's been a long day. I'm tired. Ma, I know just what you need. I'll tuck you in and light your mirrorless candles. That's just what I need. How did you know? It's a secret. My favorite at bedtime. Good night. Good night, Mama. Mithras Candle from the mouths of babes. Go to MithrasCandle.com. That's M as in magic, I-T-H-R-A-S, Candle.com, and use offer code WITCH for 13% off your first order. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave. Hello and welcome to the Witch Wave. My friends, it is almost Valentine's Day, which means it is almost my birthday. And this year I am turning 4-0. I'm going to be honest and say that celebrating this milestone in a pandemic is not what I had in mind. But I am determined to mark the occasion with lots of love and gratitude and magic. I'm planning on doing the three R's. I'm going to relax and relish and do some ritual. I know there is some semi-secret cake situation that Matt is devising as well, and birthday cakes are quite magical if you think about it too. 
It said that the earliest known rituals involving cakes and candles can be traced to the ancient Greeks who baked moon-shaped cakes and brought them to the temple of Artemis, and they lit candles on the cake to make it shine in honor of her luminous lunar magic. And you know she's my number one goddess, so this year I'm absolutely going to be eating my cake in honor of her and leaving her an offering as well. Of course, making a wish and blowing out the candles on your cake is a mini manifestation spell too. I also was taught that you are supposed to smear the name of the birthday girl or birthday boy or birthday non-binary person before you cut into the cake, as some believe that cutting into your own name can cause bad luck. And my internet recon tells me that this particular superstition can be traced to China. I don't know if my name will be on my upcoming cake, but in the past, I've always smeared my name with my own finger and then gobbled the icing up, which, now that I think about it, is a really lovely spell for self-possession. The other thing I plan on doing is something I hope you will all join me in which is to celebrate Valentine's Day as a holy day of love. Love of our families, our friends, our pets, our communities, and yes, love of the self. One of the ways I've been trying to love myself with intention lately is to allow myself to indulge more regularly and more consciously in things that give me pleasure and delight my senses. And that's honestly one of the few ways that I've been able to change the atmosphere of our home, which I have barely left in the last 11 months. I'm sure you can relate. And so I've been treating myself to more incense and more candles, and you already know I love my baths. So that's why today I am so thrilled to be speaking with magical perfumer extraordinaire Douglas Little of Heretic. Engaging with scent is such a potent way to tap into one's sensuality and to align the spirit and the body. There was a wonderful article in The New Yorker last month all about scent by Rachel Syme called How to Make Sense of Scents. And in it she writes, quote, In 16th century France, Amid religious moralizing and the pervasive fear of witchcraft, the scent of a woman's undercarriage, once considered an ambrosial ideal, became synonymous with the occult. Unquote. <laughs> and today, Douglas and I will be talking all about the occult and perfume, and sensuality, and how they can all blend together to shift our energy and make us fall in love with ourselves. But before we get to that, first, let's check and see what's come through 
on the witch wire. Who is it? Witches! Anonymous writes, Hello, and thank you so much for your wonderful podcast. I also want to thank you for your absolutely incredible book. It was actually your book that brought me to the situation that I'm writing to you about today. A little background about myself. I studied and practiced witchcraft as a teenager and in college, but then found myself drawn to Buddhism. But recently, during an informal dinner with a search committee the night before my interview for a new job, I was asked an icebreaker question about a book I was reading. I had just ordered Waking the Witch and felt compelled to discuss my interest in the historical treatment of witches and women. The person asking the question immediately recognized the title of the book. She recommended the Witch Wave podcast to me since I only knew about the book. I cannot assume she is a witch since her connection to the topic seems to be scholarly. This interviewer is now my colleague. I admire her so greatly. She is such an amazing person, and if it wasn't for this pandemic, I would probably try my hardest to be her best friend. Due to the culture at our workplace, we do have to stay professional as much as possible, and I don't want to weird her out by asking my most burning question. Is she a practicing witch? Is it okay to ask her if she's practicing, or if she just has an interest because of her own profession or her own research? Shortly after our interview, I began studying and practicing witchcraft again. I don't want her to think that I'm just a new baby witch and maybe trying to find somebody to practice with. I just really am curious. Long story short, do you have any advice for finding and connecting to witches in your workplace? I never had a problem when I was Buddhist, but as you know, witchcraft is very misunderstood, and I really don't want to shout it from the now virtual rooftops. Okay, you didn't tell me to do this, but I decided to keep your name anonymous just in case you don't want all of your business out there. Though I will say that this situation is unique enough that if your colleague does listen to the show regularly, she may recognize you and herself right away, and so my answer might be a moot point. I also want to congratulate you on your new job. That's really fantastic and exciting. And hey, if you're able to talk about this podcast and this book with somebody that you're working with, I'd say that's a pretty good sign that you're working with some cool folks. But of course, I'm pretty biased. Anyhow, so I actually do not suggest that you ask her if she is a practicing witch. For the same reasons that I would tell anyone that with workplace situations, we all need to be cautious about inquiring as to our colleagues' beliefs, mainly for HR reasons, right? I don't know what your company's HR policies are, but generally speaking, asking anyone about their spiritual practices or religious beliefs is usually frowned upon. And that's for a lot of good reasons. That information is private and personal, and in the wrong hands, it can be used to either discriminate against somebody or to privilege somebody in favor of certain workers over others. 
When I was working in corporate America for many years, no one ever asked me if I was a witch or a pagan, and I'm glad because, honestly, depending on who it was, it might have made me feel really uncomfortable. That said, I still had a little Artemis figure on my desk, and I would bring in flowers for the pagan holy days. And if someone asked me, ooh, what are those flowers for? I would sometimes answer that they're for Beltane or whatever the day was. And if the person was curious, I would sometimes explain what that meant. Occasionally, I would volunteer that I was pagan or a witch, especially if they were a friend or if they were somebody that I just felt I could really trust. But it was always up to me to disclose that about myself when I felt comfortable. So maybe some people suspected, and eventually, yes, there were certain people at work who absolutely knew, But it was always to varying degrees, depending on how well I knew them or how safe I felt with them. And there were lots of people that I never brought it up to. But even for the people that I would eventually tell, as with anything, trust and relationships and friendships take time. So my advice for you is to not ask her. But if and when you feel safe with her, you can certainly choose to share this side of yourself. Maybe you don't want to come right out and say, hey, I'm a witch. And you might try saying something like, ooh, there's a full moon coming up. Or you might refer to a celebration or a ritual that you did or are going to do to mark a holy day. Or hey, maybe you want to use my book or this podcast as a jumping off point for further discussion with her about things that they've made you think about since she's already opened the door to that conversation. But the point here is you can volunteer your interests or your experience and thereby signal to her that this is part of your life. So you're opening the door for her in other words. But it's always up to her to decide whether or when she wants to walk through it. And hey, this might not be a practice she has or an identity she holds, but she still might be someone who is really happy to honor this part of you. You just don't know. But it really is up to you to volunteer this side of yourself and see how she responds rather than putting her on the spot or asking her a question that might be a little off-putting for her or could potentially get you in some kind of trouble with your workplace. And of course, I know that's the last thing that you want or that any of us want for you. So I truly hope that this is a platonic love match and that you become best witches. But if not, I just want to say that I'm so glad that you're exploring your own witchcraft again, and I'm sure that it will lead you to other kindred spirits if and when the time is right. Let me know what happens, and good luck. Now, on to my guest, Douglas Little is a natural perfumer, creative director, product designer, and artist, 
and the founder of Heretic, a natural artisanal fragrance brand that develops scents based on the mysterious, sensual, and feral aspects of nature. He has collaborated with the likes of Lady Gaga, Dita Von Teese, Gwyneth Paltrow, and Alexander McQueen, and has also specialized in installation work, creating provocative window displays and other artful branded environments for luxury clientele like Bergdorf Goodman, Maxfield Los Angeles, Jim Thompson, and the immersive dinner theater experience Queen of the Night. Douglas's prior namesake brand, DL & Co, Modern Alchemists and Purveyors of Curious Goods, made a splash in the marketplace by infusing visions of antique luxury with a fresh, modern spirit, combining botany, Edwardian decadence, and dark beauty to a range of products, beginning with artisanal perfumed candles and extending to home goods and accessories. A California native, Douglas studied marketing and product development at UCLA and the Art Center College of Design in Pasadena, as well as at the Syndicat National des Fabricants de Produits Aromatiques in Grasse, France. Douglas also has had a lifelong interest in witchcraft and the occult, and so I can think of no better person to celebrate Valentine's Day with than this fantastical, fragrant fellow. Douglas joined me from his home in L.A. via Zoom. Douglas Little, welcome to The Witch Wave. Hi, Pam. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. You and I have spoken a couple times now, and you know that I'm such a big fan of yours. I had the pleasure of being on your podcast, and I knew I had to have you on for the Valentine's Day episode. So excited. Listeners know it is my birthday on Valentine's Day, so I find this holiday to be extra special. But I also think of it as like a very sensual, sensory holiday, and uh, I just thought you'd be the perfect person to celebrate it with. So thank you again for taking time. I'm thrilled to do it. So I want to start with the notion of magic because I love perfume. I love all things sensual and sensorial. And I do think of scent as such a magical component of this world that we live in. And so when I first encountered your perfume, and I'm remembering, actually, I think you first came on my radar when someone gifted me from a prior company of yours, a bejeweled pomegranate candle. Is that ringing a bell for you? This was from... Yes, that was my previous company was called DL and Company, yes. uh, which started in 2003. And we did that collection, which was the Poison Fruit Collection, was part of that whole series. Yes. And so someone gave me this and I, I like Googled the hell out of that brand and I completely fell head over heels in love with everything you do because you really are someone, I think, who infuses the senses and perfume with a sense of magic. So... Let's start with the basics. Do you think of perfume 
or the art of crafting perfume as magical? A hundred percent. I mean, I've had such a strong connection to the world of magic and it's wonderful to speak with you. And as I've said to you, I'm such a big fan of the work that you're doing and what you're pioneering. You know, my nature as a creative has been to really bring products, fragrances, and things to life that transport people to another space. And, you know, if I can contribute to someone's life with something as simple as a candle that really gives them this moment of joy, that makes me really happy. And most of my inspiration is drawn from nature and a tremendous amount is drawn from mysticism and the occult. So it's really wonderful to find that, you know, one of my products found its way into your home. Yes. Even though the candles burned down, I kept the, you know, the encasing of it because it is so, so precious. And I wanted to get a sense of your background because, you know, in our prior conversations and in my kind of like Google intel about you, my reconnaissance, you know, I've learned that you have had this interest in mysticism that started at a pretty young age. Can you kind of walk me through how you came to find the occult and perfume and then maybe where they started intermingling for you? Sure. So, you know, the irony is, is that I was brought up in a fairly religious household and, you know, started off in Catholicism and then was transitioned into Christianity. And at a very young age, I recognized that it didn't resonate with me. And I understood that, but was fearful of voicing my opinion about it. And oddly, my dad was really the component who was the driving force behind it. My dad was a photographer and is a photographer still. And he, for some reason, I I still to this day don't know why, but he gave me a pack of tarot cards when I was about eight or nine. And, you know, I'm a Scorpio by nature. And of course you are. It was literally, (laughs) I remember my little eight-year-old brain just kind of, it felt like someone had put a piece of dynamite in my ear and blew my head open when I got this pack of tarot cards. And it was almost like I saw the world for the first time Mm -hmm. and everything started to kind of make sense that there was something else out there. And it set me on a path that was really quite dramatic because I became really obsessed with not only tarot cards, but wanting to understand more about this world. And shortly thereafter, my parents had divorced and my dad started dating this woman named Deborah. And She was wonderfully unusual, Mm. very, very striking human being. And she would babysit me from time to time. And at her house, I noticed a lot of unusual things at her house, such as herbs. She was a painter. And, you know, again, my young mind didn't quite understand what I was digesting, but I found a pack of tarot cards. And so we launched into this conversation And, you know, she was very straightforward with me about, you know, her practice as a witch and her interest in the occult. And also that she felt that for some reason it had found me and that she wanted to nurture that. And so during their couple years of their relationship, when I would be staying at her house, she would really tutor me on, you know, the art of magic and the the fundamental ideas of it. And, And I think about it now and I was so young and I think it had to do with being an only child and really you know, having to be around adults, that these conversations were not unusual. Mm -hmm. And once she gave me the foundation, and I I remember she gave me Gerald Gardner's book, and I was done, like that was it. And so 
Of course, I ebb and flow in and out of it, but it is something that's so close and dear to me. And I'm so pleased to see it's really found its way into a lot of other people's lives and, and for different reasons and created such magic for them. Oh, that's so beautiful. Shout out to Deborah. And was Deborah the person who also got you into scent and perfume? Scent found me differently. You know, I was very much a part of the work that she was training me and kind of getting me up to speed on on the world of mysticism. Scent was certainly part of it. But scent found me in a different capacity. My mom was an avid gardener. I was constantly in the garden with her. And she had a real affinity for nature. At a very, very young age, five, six years old, my mom would take me to the gardening centers and I was a bit wily. So she would play this game with me to keep me from running off into the nursery where she would pinch leaves on plants. And she would say to me that if I could remember the name of the plant by the fragrance, then she would give me a dollar. And I wanted all the dollars. So (laughs) I, I became obsessed with learning this. And it was, I loved this game. By the time that I was... 10, 11 years old, I had a pretty strong knowledge of plants just purely associated by their scents. And she allowed me to have my own little garden. And I was really obsessed with all the plants that had fragrances. Mm. You know, then by the time that I was like 11, 12, I was spending my weekends at the Huntington Library, doing classes on botany at Descanso Gardens here in Los Angeles, traveling up to Santa Barbara to Lotus Land and doing these kind of extensive botany courses. I'm through and through a deep plant nerd. That really stuck with me. And I always had this In the back of my mind, when I was going to art school, I kept thinking, I really wish that I could figure out a way to incorporate fragrance into my work. But I never, being a kid from the Valley in Los Angeles, there's a part of me that just felt like I don't have any voice in the world of fragrance. To me, the world of perfume was relegated to, you know, the French and and Europeans. And why would some kid from the Valley have a voice in fragrance? And then one day I put my big boy pants on and decided that I wanted to try it. And so, you know, I launched with candles first and then took a hiatus and then launched the new company, Heretic. How wonderful. And in all of your different projects, and I I know you've done so many different projects in addition to perfume, but it seems like there is this through line of like sensuality and romance and some kind of like a mystical component to it. Was that something that you were intentionally doing or did it just sort of slowly evolve that way? That is very much what inspires me. It's what I want to bring to life. You know, with the visual work that I've done and the consulting work I've done with brands like Van Cleef and Arpels and Bergdorf Goodman, it's always about telling these stories that are about these kind of fractured fairy tales. To me, I really feel like what we're missing in our lives that are so consumed with technology is romance and, you know, a sense of longing, you know, aspects of loss, and then, of course, the beauty of coming together. And so with the work that I do, I really try to draw on a lot of that and to give that in visuals as well as in fragrance. My work with Heretic, it's a broader stroke than a lot of my visual work because Heretic Perfume was really designed to turn people on to the beauty of natural fragrance. Mm. And so I've had to do it in a way where it's a lot more digestible to a broader audience. And I wanted it to be more contemporary because I feel like a lot of times natural fragrance can be very relegated to the world of, uh, you know, someone in Provence picking herbs and 
<laughs> at the spa covered in cucumbers. And I really wanted to attract a much more contemporary and young customer to this amazing world that's just brimming with possibilities and has been completely ignored by the mass perfume industries. Absolutely. What I love about Heretic is you have this real spirit of irreverence, and yet it feels sophisticated as well. Like you somehow managed to thread that needle in this way that I find so beautiful. There's wit to the way you name your perfumes, to the copy, but it also feels really refined and really magical. So how did you come to land on the name Heretic? Such a good question. So my first company, DL & Co., was really, it was my baby. The hard part was, is that I think a lot of artists, they go through this where they ignore the business side of things. And as an artist, I really sunk my heart and soul into that company and felt like this was going to be my thing. And then I really didn't pay close enough attention to who I was partnering with in the business aspect of things. Mm. And sadly, it went sideways. And I had to leave the company because we had very different ideas of what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go with the company. But that company did get a tremendous amount of attention. And I mean, even to things that I never in a million years would have dreamed had happened of having Alexander McQueen reach out and we did a beautiful collaboration just things that were unbelievable. So as part of that, I was on a panel in New York on emerging beauty trends. And I was asked to speak about what I felt was the next big thing. And there was a bunch of people on this panel, really, really wonderful, you know, perfumers from IFF and from Givadon. And I mean, it was a really powerful panel of, of experts. And I said, you know, I really felt like silently Whole Foods was training us to spend a lot more money on things based purely on the fact that we were knowledgeable of what they were made from Mm. and that I felt that that would trickle into beauty. And this was like 2009. And I said, you know, what I really believed would happen was that the beauty industry was going to go through a revolution of people really wanting authenticity. And I felt that skincare would be the first hurdle where people would demand to know what was actually in their skincare. And then eventually that it might trickle down to perfume. And I felt that really people were going to be looking for individuation and that natural perfume was the the possibility of the future. And this woman from this big perfume house, she interrupted me and she said, natural perfume is nothing more than the work of housewives and heretics, and it will never be taken seriously. And I said, why would you say that? And she was like, the reason that perfumes are made from small quantities of natural materials is that they're unpredictable, they're unstable, they're too expensive, and they don't appeal to a broad audience. And I said, ma'am, all of those things that you said are the reasons why I want to work with them. And got into this really kind of wonderfully heated debate about them. And I left and was a little bummed out that the conversation went so sideways. And I remember driving in the taxi and I called my lawyer and I said, Val, do you think that I can trademark the name Heretic? And she goes, why would you want to trademark that name? She was, what are you going to do with it? And I said, I really feel like this fits what I want to do with this new company. And I said, I think I know what I'm doing now with this new company. And so that's how it started. 
Oh, I love that story. And I love it from like a magical metaphorical perspective too, in that this woman is using that word kind of like as a negative epithet or a way to make you feel foolish or small. And you have claimed that word. And obviously it's been very talismanic for you because your line is doing so well and has brought you so much success and has allowed you to express yourself at this higher level, right? Does it feel like taking that word on was kind of magical for you? It was terrifying because it's a very powerful word. It's like the ownership of saying to someone, I'm a witch, because it's an extremely loaded word in the sense that it comes with a tremendous amount of history behind it. And so utilizing a word that's so serious in a capacity that surrounds beauty in the cosmetic industry was scary for me because I have such reverence for this material. And also a great responsibility to what I wanted to do in moving forwards. But the great part is, is that the root of the word is about someone who has an opinion that's different than that of the masses. And what more perfect word for the times that we live in? You know, now is a time when people, I think, are really done with acquiescing to the way that things were done. And they're looking for new ideas. They're looking for new ways of how they feel about beauty, how they feel about getting up and walking through their life. And no longer do we have to hide in the shadows. And so really, it's been an amazing journey because, as I said, I never anticipated that these fragrances were going to appeal to a broad audience. But what I did want them to do was I wanted them to find the right people and then for those people to get really excited that there was something for them. So that's that's what's been really rewarding about this journey. Fuck yes. Well, on that note, we're going to take a very quick break and we'll be right back. Hag Swag is a monthly subscription box geared towards weirdos, witches, hags, and alternative folk. Once subscribed, you will receive a variety of curated magical items right to your door to help amplify your craft. Hag Swag curates offerings from witches worldwide to provide you with diverse and genuine offerings. Each month's theme has knowledge and offerings that are useful for both new and experienced individuals and that flow with the wheel of the year. Each theme also helps practitioners expand their existing knowledge and build their collection of tools while connecting with others in the community. Containing only cruelty-free, ethical, and gender-neutral items, this is suitable for hags of all walks of life. Use code WITCHWAVE, that's one word, WITCHWAVE, to get 5% off your first box at www.hagswag.ca. That's www.hagswag.ca. And you can also join the growing community in the Hag Coven Facebook group. So go on ahead and order your Hag Swag subscription box today. Look, it's hard enough grappling with our own emotions under ordinary circumstances, but even more so when the world is going through massive collective challenges. I am so grateful for my therapist, and even though I've done sessions in person for years, I've been pretty amazed at how effective online therapy has been for me right now. And so I can heartily recommend BetterHelp. 
an online counseling service, which can provide you with your own licensed professional therapist to talk to via video or phone sessions. So if you have anxiety issues like I do, or are dealing with depression, stress, trauma, grief, or even just day-to-day struggles with your relationships or your family, or just feeling like you're not meeting your personal goals right now, which let's be honest, has been very difficult for most of us these days. I really encourage you to reach out to the folks at BetterHelp. They will connect you with a counselor that you can start chatting with in under 24 hours. Now, a few things I really appreciate about BetterHelp is that it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, plus they offer financial aid to those who qualify, and they make it super easy to change counselors so you can find one that you really click with. Best of all, which wave listeners, that's you, get 10% off your first month of counseling by going to betterhelp.com slash witchwave. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com slash witchwave. I believe that all human beings can benefit from therapy. I certainly have myself, and I'm so glad that it's becoming more accepted and more accessible to do so. So please pop over to betterhelp.com slash witchwave and find a great counselor to talk to. BetterHelp is confidential, convenient care, and you, my friend, deserve that. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with Douglas Little. So Douglas, I want to talk to you about how you craft perfume. The scents that are part of, we'll just start with your line, Heretic, since we were just talking about it. You have a lot of perfumes that have the word dirty in them. You have dirty rose, dirty violet, dirty ginger. You have a perfume called florgasm, a perfume called scandalwood, all these beautiful, evocative, sexy names. And so I'm curious, when you are developing a perfume, what is that process like for you? Are you starting with a scent? Are you starting with a name? Can you walk us through that a little bit? Sure. Again, as I said earlier, for me, what is the greatest teacher and my greatest inspiration is always nature. And so I've wanted to tell stories with nature that were non-conventional. The way I usually start with a fragrance is a fragrance or a fragrance name is usually about taking a material and putting it into human context. So like, for instance, with Florgasm, the concept that I had with it was what would it smell like if a flower had an orgasm Hmm. and and trying to create that idea. Shortly after I launched Florgasm, I launched a fragrance called Flower Porn. And, you know, I wanted to go deeper. You know, if flowers were to engage in a pornographic act, what would that smell like? (laughs) It creates a wonderful visual story. And ultimately, fragrance is really about storytelling. And unfortunately, in the past, fragrances have been made with a lot of synthetic materials, some of them very dangerous. 
and very little natural material involved with them. So I really wanted to rewrite that script. I wanted to create fragrances that were made with natural materials and disclose those natural materials and use them, you know, make the entire fragrance with them. So when you smell these fragrances, they smell very different than what you're used to smelling at your traditional cosmetic department store. Mm -hmm. And I wanted the names and the storylines and the people that I collaborated with to also be equally as diametrically opposed to the quote-unquote masses as I could. Mm. And how much thought are you putting into kind of like the witchly properties of plants? Is that something you've done research on or are you more kind of intuitive about? I'd love to hear about that. Very much. It's again, a delicate balance because I want people to be excited about these fragrances. And I also don't want to scare anyone either. (laughs) So it's been about really tiptoeing into this world and being trying to share as much information as I can, and not only about the magical properties of the plants, but also about their Ayurvedic, their aromatherapy aspects, you know, all of these different things. Because when you're using these fragrances, these materials at such high concentrations to create fragrance, they no longer are then cosmetic. They then bridge this gap into something that becomes a functional fragrance. So what that means is that typically fragrances, when they're made with natural materials, the natural content of your traditional fragrance, like for instance, if Chanel uses rose or jasmine, the concentration of that rose or jasmine will usually be in the neighborhood of around 1%, even less than that. And sometimes they actually aren't using the whole flower. They're just using an isolation from the flower. Mm. What I'm doing is I'm actually using the whole material. So it's a little bit like a good analogy would be if you were to eat an apple flavored candy or eat an apple, there are very different situations. One tastes wonderful. The other, you get the apple, the fiber, the skin, the seeds, the, all of it is there. Yeah. So when you're using these materials in this very high concentration, you then get to the benefits of like their antiseptic properties, antibacterial, antiviral, the effects that they have on the chakras. You know, you can go all the way down this incredible rabbit hole. They then do all of these other things when you're using them at these really high concentrations. Mm, Beautiful. Are there any scents in particular or flowers in particular that feel specifically transformative for you or holy for you? I'm just talking about like the individual plants, let's say. Well, that's a very deep, we could do an entire podcast just (laughs) on that question. It's tough for me to select one. I would say that because this is your Valentine's Day episode, one of my all-time favorites, and it's just as, as boring as I could possibly be with this answer, is Rose. Yes, I'm going to interrupt you and say, I have been on such a rose journey because, and I find this to be true actually in my life overall, that things that I would dismiss as cliche, the older I get, the more I realize they're cliche because there's such depth and magic to them. And I'm kind of circling back around to those things. So rose is a perfect example of a plant that I deeply love and I'm getting into a lot of the symbolism and the scent of it again in ways that I kind of like dismissed because it seemed so obvious. And yet, you know, there's so much magic there. And I think the part 
with rose that always blows me away is when I'm doing a custom fragrance for someone and I recommend that we look at rose, that the reaction I get from the, the majority of people is that they do not like rose. They have a very visceral reaction to it. And then what they realize is they've actually never smelled real rose. And that's the part that's, again, a bit shocking to people is that their assumption of what rose absolute is, is a fragrance that they know from the perfume counter or a fragrance that they smelled on their mother or their grandmother. Mm -hmm. And they associate it with something very old fashioned, cloying, powdery, powdery, and at times chemical smelling. And real Rose Absolute, not only is it so extraordinary and so overwhelming, and it's of this earth and it's of the spirit, it is totally transformative. And the roses that you can get, you know, the roses that are coming from China and Bulgaria and France. And, you know, I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. It's the thing that's so magical about perfume and natural perfuming is that the world of it is exactly like winemaking. They come in vintages, they are rare, they are expensive, and they are wildly nuanced. And so, you know, the world of roses, when you say rose, I'm really speaking to this world that is vast, and there are so many species that are available. And I think, too, the thing that's interesting about rose is there's all the metaphysics that surround rose, which is vast. But regarding just the aromatherapy use and then the use that's now been proven through clinical trials is it's used for easing pain, stimulating the sex drive, for lifting depression. It's been used to treat postpartum. It's pretty wild, all of the fact that goes behind what Rose does and why we have such a visceral reaction to it. Rose has been proven, again, through scientific study that it releases small amounts of dopamine in the brain. Mm. So that's why when you smell real Rose Absolute, that it causes this feeling of kind of happiness and you don't understand quite why it's happening. And so that's why when they've done these various studies, like there was a great study done in 2016 in a children's hospital for kids that had just undergone surgery. And they did one test group with a placebo and the other test group with this rose essential oil. And they had this a dramatic difference in the two test studies with the group that had gone through surgery that was experiencing pain. And when they would inhale the rose essential oil, their response to their level of pain was almost half of what the other group that had placebo was. Wow. And I have to say that touches me on a personal level right now without going in too much detail. I've been dealing with a lot of pain this year. I threw out my back earlier this year. I'm about to turn 40. And so I'm sure some of it is also like saying, psychosomatically feeling like I'm about to, you know, have this milestone and having anxiety around celebrating it in a pandemic, which I wasn't expecting. So the fact that I've been gravitating towards Rose as this both symbolic and magical kind of element in my life, you're now making me think that I need to use it for pain management as well. So I really appreciate you bringing that up. That's really, really beautiful. I'm very touched by that. Yeah, diffusing rose in an environment is a really, it's always a great one. It's great to do before bed because it really sets the mind into a different space and it can be utilized in all of these different capacities. Also, whatever it's being paired with, like my favorite combination is uh, rose and hinoki. Actually, we're just launching a hinoki rose body oil. And uh, it is truly like the most sensual, erotic, gorgeous thing you could possibly imagine. Okay. And again, we're on the same exact wavelength because I'm obsessed with hinoki. Like I cannot get enough. I've been 
like doing these hinoki bath salts that I get from this spa in New Mexico that I really love called 10,000 Waves. And it's just like, so the fact that you're doing a rose hinoki blend, ah, Douglas, sign me up. I cannot (laughs) wait to try that. Wow. How special. So I want to pivot a little bit and talk about some of your collaborations. I mean, wow, collaborating with Alexander McQueen. That's incredible. You've collaborated with Dita Fontis and Lady Gaga and all of these incredible people. So how do you decide who you want to collaborate with? And what is that process like? Because that's its own alchemy when you're blending two minds together like that to make something new. Very challenging. I've been very fortunate that I've had some really, really unique individuals come forwards to want to do collaboration. For me first, they have to truly be a heretic in their own right for it to feel correct. So I have to really vet that carefully and see really if the project feels right. You know, my friendship with Dita is one, we've been friends now for almost 18 years and we have a mutual admiration of each other's work and aesthetics. We both aesthetically can kind of finish each other's sentences. Her home and my home have a very similar vibe to them. And we've just always really loved geeking out on perfume. We would be in Paris usually at the same time, and we would spend afternoons geeking out over vintage decants of fragrances. And so we had had this kind of fantasy that one day we would do something. And she truly is the most, I think that she is the epitome of the heretic. You know, she has done something that is so against the societal norms and brought it to the extraordinary art form that it really is. And so doing a fragrance with her and wanting to create something that was this sensual stick of dynamite. It was a great addition to the line and we're getting ready to expand that collection right now. So it's really exciting. And then my other collaborations, you know, my work with Gaga was, we did a cast of her that I turned into a candle, a weeping bust candle that was really wonderful. And that was a really fun project. I got to work closely with her creative team and her, and that was great. And she certainly is another anomaly. And then my work with Gwyneth at Goop has been amazing. You know, a lot of people have got very mixed feelings about Gwyneth. And I was so shocked that the way that the whole project came about, a previous editor that had wrote about my work, she was now working with Goop. And she found my new collection, Heretic. And she goes, you know, I really think that you need to meet Gwyneth. And I kind of was like, yeah, sure, sure. I'm going to meet Gwyneth. Literally a week later, you know, her assistant called me up and said, you know, she's going to be in New York and she'd like to come by your studio. And I I couldn't even believe what was happening. And then a week later, you know, I got a knock on my apartment door and in comes Gwyneth. And, you know, it took me about 10 minutes to stop shaking and getting over the fact that I had her sitting in my apartment. And then we started geeking out on fragrance and She was like, I just love what you're doing. And I love the fact that you're really going against the grain. And I've been wanting to do fragrance for Goop, but I want to do something that's 100% natural. Her interest in mysticism and her interest in the magical properties of the herbs and the plants were so fascinating because I was not expecting that. Mm. And the fragrance profiles that she wanted to explore were so esoteric. They were not at all what I had anticipated. You know, the first conversation, she was like, well, I know I want to do this one fragrance that's about winter and about being locked up in a cabin 
with your lover and having amazing sex in front of the fireplace. Can you capture that through fragrance? And I was like, Oh honey, you came to the right place. (laughs) I'm I'm so glad you brought up this collaboration because of course it was next on my list to ask you about. And I, I also know people have very mixed feelings about her and about goop and we do not have to unpack that right now, (laughs) but I mean, let's talk about the fragrance that you guys came up with because it is fucking infamous now, right? We are talking about, wait, let me get the exact title here. It smells like my vagina. Is that right? Does it smell like your vagina? (laughs) I mean, I think we've established that mine smells like Rose and Hinoki. Come on. (laughs) But I just think, you know, obviously it's a very audacious name I think she has to have a sense of humor in order to put a product like that out, which I don't think a lot of people gave it credit for. In my opinion, I feel like a lot of people were like, oh, my God, I can't believe that. You know, they were taking it so literally. And I'm like, this is funny. (laughs) Like, this is funny and audacious. And anyhow, can can you just tell us that story of how the it smells like is it am I getting that right? This smells like my vagina. Is that what the candle was called? The way that the, the product came about was I was in the middle of actually creating the four fragrances for the Goop edition. So I was working on the summer one and Gwyneth said that she wanted me to do something that was really non-conventional for summer. So I was working around a bunch of ideas. I One of my favorite things to do if I've got any downtime is just, I go to Big Sur. It's where mm-hmm. I probably will end up, I'm hoping at some point. And I love everything about it. And I was spending a lot of time there and was really doing a lot of research on several different types of brine and seaweed ingredients for fragrance. Mm. And I was in love with this one seaweed absolute. And I was doing a combination of hanoki and seaweed and neroli. And I was coming up with this concept of these kind of like summer afternoons in Big Sur, where you get the beautiful incense junipers and the cedars and, you know, creating this kind of storyline around summers and the coast. And I brought her this first pass and I brought her all of the individual ingredients to smell. And she had her whole team there when I was presenting this. And so she smelled the completed fragrance and she was like, oh my God, I love this. This is so beautiful. And then I said, well, it's made with this. And I put the seaweed absolute in front of her and she goes, oh my God, Douglas, this smells like a vagina. And everyone in the room (laughs) busted out laughing. And it was just like this complete icebreaker. And then of course, everyone's passing it around. They're like, that does not smell like my vagina. And everyone's like talking and commenting about it. And I thought it was so funny. Like it became this really strange and funny moment where everyone was like having these weird conversations about vaginas. And it was probably about four or five months later, I gave her a gift and I gave her this perfume flask and I had it engraved and it said, this smells like my vagina. And she cracked up and she was like, oh my God, this is the funniest thing. I love this so much. And shortly thereafter, I was like, why don't we do a candle with it? And we launched it at one of the Goop summits and people went so insane for it. I, I mean, mean they insane, just, insane. They went crazy for this whole thing. And, you know, the part that was so great about it was that the intent behind it was about one, destigmatizing the vagina, because again, it just blows me away how 
uptight everyone is about the discussion of body parts and, you know, the human body and all of those things. And, you know, whether you like Gwyneth or not, her work is very poignant in the fact that she's really trying to show alternative ideas and alternative ways of wellness, alternative ideas of living your life and thought. And so this was really something to kind of create some humor and destigmatize the vagina because a lot of people have got a lot of weirdness that surrounds it and to do something fun. And the fragrance of the candle is really beautiful. It's not the seaweed fragrance. I created something that's really based on roses and suede. So it's kind of like a big, fresh bundle of roses from the garden that's wrapped up in fresh suede is what it smells like. Ah, amazing. Amazing. On that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. I absolutely adore Zoo's Incense. Zoo's Incense is a handmade, hand-rolled, all-natural product. All of their ingredients are organic or wild-crafted, which means they're made with whole plants, seeds, roots, woods, tree resins, and tinctures. Zoo's has nine blends currently available, and they are so magical. And I am so thrilled that I have collaborated with them to create the Witch Wave Blend, which is inspired by Artemis. It contains sandalwood, orris root, myrrh, black storax, mugwort, ambrette seed tincture, and organic ylang-ylang essential oil. And you can find that special exclusive Witch Wave Blend over on the Witch Wave website in our shop by going to witchwavepodcast.com slash shop. So do check out the Witch Wave Incense Blend from Zoos. In addition to all of that, Zoos is now offering incense making kits for your own incense crafting experiments at home. You can look for exclusive new incense crafting supplies on the Zoos website alongside their other hand cast concrete burners, charcoal, raw aromatics like frankincense and myrrh, and other incense supplies. You can find all of that over on the Zoos website, which is zoosincense.com that's z-o-u-z incense.com and you can get free shipping on orders over $22 and 10% off by using code witchwave so just to repeat all of this juicy information you can find the witchwave exclusive incense blend over on the witchwave website at witchwavepodcast.com slash shop and you can also get all of those other wonderful incense goodies at zoosincense.com and get free shipping on orders over $22 and 10% off by using promo code WITCHWAVE. That's zoosincense.com, promo code WITCHWAVE. Thank you, Zoos. Would you like even more WITCHWAVE? Then come join us on Patreon, where you'll get bi-weekly bonus Witch Wave Plus episodes, ad-free Witch Wave episodes, and detailed show notes for all. Rewards also include magical merch and giveaways, early heads up about my workshops before they sell out, and all backers get access to our exclusive digital coven, where I lead monthly rituals and video chats, and where you can connect to a community of other wonderful witches. So head on over to patreon.com slash witchwave and sign up. 
It's a fabulous way to get more magic in your life and to support the show. Thanks so much. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today, I'm speaking with Douglas Little. So Douglas, we were talking about vaginas, and that leads me to sensuality and sexuality in general. This is the Valentine's Day episode, of course, as we keep saying, and there is such a sensuality to perfume. And, you know, a lot of people think of perfume as aphrodisiacs. Certainly there's associations with love potions. How are you thinking about perfume and the sensual these days? This year, funny enough, all of the fragrances that I'm doing this year and launching this year are all extraordinarily sensual fragrances. I think that, you know, one of the things that's missing in the fragrance industry is a real nod towards the erotic. It's actually a note. And when we talk about erotic, obviously, and you're talking about fragrance, it's extremely interpreted. So when we say erotic to one person, that may mean you know, the smell of apples to erotic to someone else may be the smell of a barnyard. So it's a very interpreted word. And obviously, a fragrance is interpreted, which is why I love it so much. But I think that in the fragrance industry, we really haven't seen fragrances that I would say are truly erotic, boldly erotic since the 20s. In the 20s, there was a several different fragrances that were almost offensive in the way that they were created. They were created for very specific reasons. At the time, obviously, we had the dawn of the flapper and, you know, this kind of women's liberation that was happening with these audacious girls going out, having boy haircuts and being very forward with what they wanted from life. And so fragrances were being created that had strong tobacco notes, Mm -hmm. strong aspects of musks, civets, these kind of animalic notes that we never see anymore. Of course, many of them are, are terrible because these animal notes are completely not safe for the animals. Sure. And now we've got a lot of great replicas, but they were very bold. And so this year I'm launching several fragrances that really speak to the erotic. And I'm really leaning this year into several different ideas of massage oils, massage candles. And by the end of the year, I'm actually working on 100% natural personal lubricant um, as well. So obviously the Valentine's Day episode, we should be talking about this and talking about not only eroticism with a partner, but I think sometimes the most important thing to talk about is eroticism with yourself. And fragrance is a great way of being able to crack open that door to finding a relationship of sensuality and eroticism with yourself. Mm, So beautifully said. And I've been thinking about that a lot, especially, I cannot believe we are coming up on, what is it, 11 months of this freaking pandemic. And, you know, we're not able, I mean, I'm fortunate in that I am living with someone that I still find attractive. I know that that is not the case for a lot of people. Either they can't stand the people they're stuck with or they're by themselves. And so even having a partner who I love very dearly, it's become so important for me to get my own space and for me to have my own sanctuary and to be in touch with myself, not just erotically, but spiritually and, you know, just generally. And for me, scent and candles and baths has become a primary way for me to, A, kind of shift 
my own energy and make me feel like I'm somewhere else, even though I'm in the same damn apartment I've been in. And it also allows for me to feel more in touch with the things that make me come alive and which make me happy, which calm me down. And so I love that you're leaning more into the personal experience of perfume, not just about attracting other people, but how do you turn yourself on in all senses of that phrase, right? I want to ask, you asked me this question when I was on your podcast, but I'm so curious, what are your favorite scents these days? What is a gift that you give yourself through the world of perfume when you want to treat yourself right? Well, right now, I would say that the fragrance that I've really become kind of obsessed with is calendula. Basically, it's marigold. Mm. And marigold is a very interesting, when you get actual calendula absolute, it's a very viscous, sappy material. It has an incredible balsamic, spicy, slightly rotted floral quality that is really hypnotizing. Its use metaphysically and physically on the body are astounding. It does all sorts of wonderful things. So I've been making various tinctures, doing it in tea, uh, as well as massage lotion. And, you know, I've really been enjoying the effects that it has both on the mind, the body and the spirit. It's certainly not commercial. So I would say that for those who are listening, who are feeling adventurous, you know, you can get really beautiful calendula absolute from, there's a company called Liberty Natural out of um, Oregon, but you know, it has all sorts of wonderful properties. You can use it for everything from a lip balm to antispasmodic. I mean, it goes on and on and on, but that's been my recent obsession. I've been trying to steer clear of my normal go-tos, which is, you know, always these musky, heavy patchouli worlds, which again, I love so much, but I've been trying to really venture out into some worlds that are a little bit more ethereal, lighter. Oh, and I think we could all use a little bit of lightness these days. That's so lovely. I'm looking at your space, which you referenced earlier. You have this beautiful kind of cabinet of curiosities behind you. And going over your own biography and, and this beautiful life that you've managed to manifest for yourself it reminds me quite a bit of the book Against Nature. I don't know if you've ever read that. It's so funny. It's my, it's, it is my obsession. I basically have kind of built my life around that book. Yes, yes. And for those who haven't read it, I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce the author's name. I've heard Wiesman, Eisman, Hoisman, but it's this 19th century book about essentially a dandy who lives this beautiful aesthetic life and, you know, has a sensorium, as I'm recalling, in his home and a bejeweled turtle and all of this stuff. I hope that you live a much happier life than he did. But I'm wondering, kind of just big picture wise, what do you see for yourself in terms of your goals or your intentions for your work, Douglas? Because you're such a magical person. You're someone who inspires the hell out of me. And I would just love to know kind of where you see yourself going as a magical person, as a perfumer, as a creative. I'm very excited to continue forwards with Heretic because now I feel like I'm getting into the nitty gritty with it. I'm actually, I feel like we've found customers who are excited about the product and now I can start venturing into bath and body and, you know, some of the other things that I really wanted to do and eventually into some cosmetic work. 
And I'm getting ready to launch a sister company, which is going to be really focused on more metaphysical products. Yes. Some of the things that I was doing in the past, but through a new lens and really unapologetic about its mysticism. So I'm excited about that, which hopefully will kick that off starting the end of the year. And, um, you know, my dream has always been, and I'm really working towards it, to find a nice piece of property and to grow a very substantial wild garden of these plants and flowers and do the extraction process and be able to walk people through that and teach about the magic of herbalism and fragrance and really do a hands-on experience. So I'm actually in a couple of weeks, I'm leaving to go look at some property to hopefully begin that process. And, you know, I really want to be able to share this world with other people because it's so important when I see people start learning about fragrance and they experience it firsthand, it's like a light bulb goes off for them and they start having dialogue that's uncommon in today's life. They ask questions, they become more vulnerable and vulnerability is something that is so uncommon these days, you know, and there's something about fragrance that makes people childlike because they don't have the vernacular to be able to describe what they're smelling or what they're, they're trying to achieve. And when one becomes vulnerable, it's when they actually see themselves for the first time. And so I want to be able to have more of this dialogue with people and to be able to create experiences that allow people to drop into this space. And I feel that that's truly why I'm here on this planet this time around. Mm. So gorgeous. I honestly don't think that there's a better way we could end this podcast. I just find you to be such a delight of a human. You're like the kind of person in all sincerity that like when I was a kid and I pictured what amazing adults were, I feel like I pictured someone like you. And so many people are so fucking boring, Douglas. So thank (laughs) the gods that we have this magical, witchly perfumer in this world. I'm so grateful that you exist, and I'm so happy that you are on the show. Thank you so much for being here. Oh my gosh, it's such a pleasure. And Pam, I feel the same about you. I'm in awe of your work and, and your bravery, and I'm so happy to be a support and and to contribute. Oh, you delightful, delightful man. Well, happy Valentine's Day to you. I wish you lots of love and magic and good smelling things. (laughs) Well, happy St. Valentine to you as well. And happy birthday. (laughs) Yay. Thank you so much. (laughs) That's it for the show. Thank you again to Douglas Little for his scented sorcery and rosy magic. Do you have questions, feedback, need some witchly advice, or just want to share something magical that happened to you recently? Drop us an email at witchwavepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and you just might make it on the Witch Wire. The Witch Wave is produced, written, and recorded by me, Pam Grossman. This episode was edited by Rachel Jacobs. Thank you, Rachel, and myself. Our theme music is the song Hand and I by Lycanthia. Special thanks go to Matt Freeman, Laura Antal, and Cece Pascal. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website and now buy Witchwave merch at witchwavepodcast.com. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and give us lots and lots and lots of sparkly stars. It truly makes a difference and helps other people find the show. 
You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WitchWavePod. And you can check out my witch emoji for iPhone by going to witchemoji.com or downloading it in the App Store. Please consider picking up my book, Waking the Witch, which is available everywhere now. And if you want more Witch Wave or you would just like to support the show, please do join us over on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash witchwave. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witch Wave.